Chapter Twenty Eight of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Eight: The Fight for the Emerald Throne. Thrown into utter confusion by the great press of people, well armed and determined, the soldiers who had fought so desperately and who intended to blow up the house that Omar and his companions had made their stronghold fled precipitately up the hill, but so rapid and heavy was the firing that few, if any, got out of the street alive. On seeing the chances thus suddenly turned in our favor, we poured forth into the street again, and joining our forces with those of our rescuers, rushed with them into the main thoroughfare leading to the palace, scrambling over the debris of our barricade and the heaps of bodies that blocked our passage. A hurried question addressed to a man rushing along at my side elicited glad tidings. So fiercely had the people fought that the troops sent out to quell the rising had been utterly routed everywhere, while many of the regiments had turned in our favor and had actually held several of the barricades, winning brilliant victories. "'It is yonder at the palace where the resistance will be greatest,' the man cried excitedly, blood streaming from a ghastly wound on his brow but our cause is good the naya shall die to the palace screamed the infuriated mob to the palace and forward the frantic dash was made at redoubled pace until we came to the pile of fallen masonry which had a few hours ago been the great impregnable gateway that closed each day at sunset and opened not till sunrise save for the great white queen herself here the place seemed undefended until we came close up to it when without warning we were met with the withering rifle-fire that laid low dozens of our comrades. The man who had been so enthusiastic a moment before, and who had told me of our successes, was struck full in the breast by a ball, and fell against me, dead. For a moment only did we hold back. Dawn was spreading now, but the heavy black smoke obscured the struggling daylight. Suddenly there sounded just at my rear Omar's well-known voice, crying, Forward! forward my brethren i omar your prince lead you into the palace of my father to-day there commences a new and brighter era for our beloved land falter not but end the struggle valiantly as ye have commenced it forward his words sent a sudden patriotic thrill through the great concourse of armed men who instantly sprang forward and regardless of the blazing lines of rifles before them climbed the ruins and engaged the defenders hand to hand it was a brilliant dash, and could only have been accomplished by the courage inspired by Omar's words, for the odds were once more against us, and the rapid fire from behind the ruins played the most frightful havoc in our ranks. In the midst of the crowd I clambered up, sword in hand, over the huge masses of masonry and rubbish, and springing to earth on the other side, alighted in a corner where the picked guards of the Naya were making a last desperate stand. At first the struggle had been a hand-to-hand -hand one, but they had retreated, and were now firing heavy volleys that effectively kept us at bay. Almost at the same moment as I sprang down I heard behind me fiendish yells and the clamoring of many feet. In an instant I recognized it as the savage war-cry of the Dagombas, and next second a hundred half-naked blacks, looking veritable fiends in the red glare, swept down headlong to the spot where I stood and, headed by Kona brandishing his spear, dashed straight upon the defenders. The effect of this was to cause the others to spring forward as reinforcements, and quicker than the time occupied in relating it, 
this position, an exceedingly strong one, fell into our hands. So infuriated were the Dagambas by the excesses committed by the soldiery in various parts of the city that they vented their savage wrath upon the defenders until the butchery became awful, and I doubt whether a single man escaped. The soldiers holding the next court, seeing this disaster, placed, ere we could prevent them, two field-pieces behind the closed gate, wherein holes had been hacked, and with the walls crowded with men with rifles they began to pour upon us a deadly hail of shot and shell. Once, for a moment only, Nero, the provincial governor I had met at Galibas, fought beside me, but after exchanging a few breathless words we became again separated. Little time elapsed ere one and all understood that to remain long under this galling fire of the palace guards would mean death to us. Therefore it required no further incentive than an appeal from Omar to cause us to storm the entrance to the court. "'Well done, friends,' he shouted. "'We have broken down the first defense. Come, let us sweep away the remainder, but spare the life of the Naya. Remember, I am her son. Again, forward! Zamara giveth strength to your hands and courage to your hearts. Use them for the purpose he hath bestowed them upon you.' In the forward movement in response to these loudly uttered words fearful cries of rage and despair mingled with hoarse shouts of the vanquished. Rifles flashed everywhere in the faint morning light, bullets kept up a singing chorus above our heads, and about me in the frightful tumult gleamed naked blood-stained blades. At first the guards, like those in the outer court, made a desperate resistance, but soon they showed signs of weakness, and I could distinguish in the faint gray dawn how gradually we were driving them back, slowly gaining the entrance to the court, which I remembered was a very large and beautiful one with cool colonnades, handsome fountains, and beautiful flowering trees of a kind I had never seen in England. At last, after a fierce struggle, in which the defenders very nearly succeeded in driving us out or slaughtering us where we stood, the field pieces were silenced, a charge of explosive was successfully placed beneath the gate, and a loud roar followed that shook every stone in that colossal pile. The ponderous door was shattered, and the defenders disorganized by the suddenness of the disaster. Almost before they were aware of it, we had poured in among them. Then the slaughter was renewed, and the scenes witnessed on every hand frightful to behold. Kona and his black followers fought like demons, spearing the soldiers right and left, always in the van of the fray. Omar and Kona were apparently sharing the direction of the attack, for sometimes I heard the voice of one raised giving orders, and sometimes the other. But however irregular the mode of proceeding might have been from a military standpoint, success was ours, for half an hour later the two inner courts, strenuously defended by the Naya's bodyguard, were taken, and judging from the fact that the firing outside had become desultory, it seemed as though hostilities in the streets had practically ceased. At this juncture some man, a tall powerful fellow who was distinguishing himself by his valiant deeds, told me that the military down in the city, finding the populace so strong, had, after a most terrific fight, at last ceased all opposition and declared in favor of the Prince Omar. This we afterwards discovered was the actual truth. The carnage in the streets had, however, been appalling, before this step had been resolved upon, but when once the declaration had been made, the remnants of the Nias army were, at the orders of the leaders of the people, marched without the city wall on the opposite side to the great cliff, 
and there halted to await the progress of events. Meanwhile we were still hewing our way, inch by inch, towards the center of the palace of the great white queen. So desperate was the conflict that the perspiration rolled from us in great beads, and many of my comrades fell from sheer exhaustion and were trampled to death beneath the feet of the wildly excited throng. Soon, driving back the final ring of defenders and shooting them down to the last man, we dashed across the central court where the polished marble paving ran with blood, and battering down the great gilded doors that fell with a loud crash, gained our goal entering the spacious hall of audience, in the center of which, upon its raised dais, under the great gilded dome, stood the historic emerald throne. The magnificent hall was deserted. The bloodshed had been frightful. The courts were heaped with dead and dying. Several chairs were lying overturned, as if the courtiers and slaves had left hastily, and even across the seat of royalty one of the Naya's rich bejeweled robes of state had been hastily flung down. This, snatched up by one of the Dagambas, was tossed away into the crowd, who gleefully tore it to shreds as sign that the power of the dreaded Naya was forever broken. To the exultant shouts of a thousand wild, blood-bespattered people the great hall echoed again and again. The faint light showed too plainly at what terrible cost the victory had been won. Their clothes were torn, their faces were blackened by powder, from their superficial wounds blood was oozing, while the more serious consequences of sword-cuts and gunshots had been hastily bound by shreds of garments. Flushed by their victory they were a strange forbidding-looking rabble. Yet they were our partisans, a peaceful law-abiding people who had been oppressed by a tyrannical rule and long ripe for revolt. They had seized this opportunity to break the power of the cruel-hearted woman who was unworthy to hold sway upon that historic throne. Let us seek the Naya, she shall not escape. Let us avenge the deaths of our fathers and children, were the cries raised when they found the hall of audience deserted. Apparently they had expected to find the great white queen seated there, awaiting them, and their chagrin was intense at finding her already a fugitive. She dare not face us, they screamed. All tyrants are cowards. Kill her, let us kill her. But Galiba, whom I was gratified to see present and unharmed, sprang upon the dais, and waving his arms cried, Rather let us first place our valiant young prince upon the emerald throne. Let him be appointed our ruler. Then let us seek to place the Naya in captivity. No, they cried excitedly. Kill her. Give her alive to Zamara, suggested one man near me grimly. Let her taste the punishment to which she has consigned so many hundreds of our relatives and friends. Heedless of these shouts, Galibus, stretching forth his hand, led Omar, whose torn clothes and perspiring face told how hard he had fought, towards the wonderful throne of green gems, and seating him thereon, cried, I, Galiba, on behalf of these, the people of our great kingdom, enthrone thee and invest thee with the supreme power in place of thy mother, the Naya. Loud deafening cheers, long repeated, rose from the assembled multitude, and the soldiers dying in the courts outside knew that the revolt of the people had been successful, that right had won in this struggle against might. Then, when the cries of adulation became fainter, and with difficulty silence was restored, Omar rose, and raising his sword, upon which blood was still wet, exclaimed in a loud ringing voice, I, Omar, 
the last descendant of the royal house of Sonome, hereby proclaim myself Naba of Mo. Again cheers rang through the vaulted hall, and presently, when the excitement had once more died down, he added, gazing around with a regal air, About me here I see those who have borne arms in my cause, and to each and every one I render thanks. How much we may all of us deplore the loss of so many valuable lives, death is nevertheless the inevitable result of any recourse to arms. At least we have the satisfaction of knowing that our cause was a just one, and by the sacred memory of our ancestors I swear that my rule shall be devoid of that cruelty and tyranny that have disgraced the latter pages of my beloved country's history. I, Omar, am your ruler. Ye are my people. Obey the laws we promulgate, and the good counsels of our advisers, and security both of life and property shall be yours. From this moment human sacrifices to our great god Zamara, to whom all praise be given for this victory of our arms, are abolished. But our first and foremost word from this, our seat of royalty, is that the life of the Naya shall be spared. Your Naba hath spoken. A visible look of disappointment overspread the countenance of those around me. All had, in their wild enthusiasm, desired to wreak their vengeance upon the unjust queen, but this royal decree forbade it. There even went forth murmurs of disapproval, and Omar, hearing them, said in a loud, serious voice, A Sanam hath never allowed his kinsmen to be murdered. Therefore, although the Naya hath plotted to take my life, she shall be held captive and not die. Let not a hair of her head be touched, or he who lifteth his hand against her shall be brought before me, and I will not spare him. Enough blood hath been already shed since the going down of the sun. Let not another life be wasted. Then calling Galiba, Kona, Nero, and myself up to his side upon the royal dais, he continued, These, my friends, who have assisted me to gain this my kingdom, are deserving of reward and this shall at once be given them, Galiba, whom all know as a sage and upright man. Cheers, loud and ringing, here interrupted his words. When quiet had been restored, he continued, Galiba shall retain his position as chief of our royal counsellors, and shall be also Grand Vizier of Mo. Nero, a trusty governor to whom all who have appealed have met with justice, is appointed custodian of the gate of Mo, in place of Babila, for whom we all mourn. To Kona, head man of the Dagambas of the forest, I owe my life, and he shall be chief of our army and of our bodyguard, and his native followers shall themselves be the principal members of the guard. And Scarsmere, he said, turning towards me. Scarsmere hath been my friend and companion across the great black water. He knoweth not fear, for together we have been held by Samory and Prepe, and have yet managed to preserve our lives. Since I, your Naba, left Mo by the way of the Thousand Steps, and entered the land of the white men, Scarsmere hath been my friend and companion, therefore all shall treat him with due respect. For although he cometh from the wonderful land, afar he shall be governor of this our city, and keeper of our treasure-house. He is the trusted and faithful friend of your Naba, and all shall regard him as highest in favor. We greet thee, Galiba, enthusiastically cried the surging crowd. We greet thee, Nero, custodian of the gate. We greet thee, Kona, a savage but great chieftain. Thou art head of our army. 
we greet thee Scarsmere, the friend of our royal Naba, and governor of Mo. We, the people, accept you, and have confidence in your rule. Ye are all great, and are worthy of the offices to which ye have been raised. May your names be exalted above all others, and your faces be as beacons unto us. And they shouted themselves hoarse and cheering, seeing in the enthronement of the young Naba the dawn of a just and beneficent rule. Their adulations became louder and even more profuse, when Omar proceeded to appoint others, well known and popular, to various offices connected with the palace. Happy, cried the white-bearded sages who had taken their places behind the throne, happy is the prince whose trust is in Zamara, and whose wisdom cometh from the king of the river. Happy, cried the people, humbling themselves, happy is our Naba, the favorite of the crocodile god, the one from whose wrath all flee. That, replied Omar, O people is too much even for the Naba of Mo to hear. But may Zamara approve of my thoughts and actions. So shall the infernal powers destroy the wretches that employ them, and the arrows recoil upon those who draw a bow upon us. But, O sages, though our numbers are reduced, your integrity is more tried and approved. Therefore let Omar, your Naba, partake of the sweetness of your counsels, and learn from aged experience the wisdom of the sons of earth. Ye shall tell me from time to time what the peace and sincerity of my throne requireth from me, for human prudence alone is far too weak to fight against the wiles of the deceitful. I stood beside the royal seat, deep in thought, silently gazing upon the thousand upturned grimy faces. It had indeed been a curious turn of events that had conspired to place my friend upon the throne of an autocrat, and also to give into my own unaccustomed hands the rule and control of this most magnificent and extensive capital, and all the wondrous treasures of the royal house of the Sanomes. End of chapter 28. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.